0: Seekers, explorers, and renegades out there, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. Continuing a series on business-related or conscious business-related topics, we uh, today have a seasoned uh, HR professional with us, Kevin Blaushield. Kevin comes from a traditional human resources background where he managed the human resources operations in his uh, family's business in a very traditional way and uh, when he tried to see things from a different perspective uh, things didn't uh, quite land as well as he had hoped so uh, he came up with a new solution and uh, followed his heart and his guts towards a new way of doing human resources and it's often when we are forced out to stand on our two, on two legs and forge our own uh, way in life that uh, these wonderful new concepts, new paradigms emerge from within. So let's hear what Kevin is doing on his uh, side of the business spectrum with uh, human resources as an entry point to change the, para- or shift businesses into a new paradigm. and. Uh, to optimize humanity as uh, we evolve into new version of ourselves. Hello and welcome to today's conversation at the Alchemy Experience podcast. Uh, today we have the honor of uh, uh, having Kevin Blauschild uh, joining us from uh, beautiful Texas and uh, we're going to talk about... Uh, conscious HR management today, uh, or at least try to dissect kind of human resources where it's been and uh, where we would like to see it go. And uh, so we got Kevin here with us. Welcome, Kevin.
1: Yeah, Christopher, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Pleasure. So uh, why don't you uh, just give us a little bit on your background and uh, where kind of Your point of entry is in in this discussion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, for almost 10 years after I graduated college, I worked in my family's business and uh, I went to school for finance. Um, When I joined my family's business, I did a whole variety of jobs, um, did a lot of different things uh, from customer service to operations, management, um, purchasing e-commerce and um you know there there was an opportunity for me to get involved in hr uh, sorry my dog is barking i don't know if that's something that you uh, can hear or you want right. to cut out we okay. can
0: but it's all right
1: <laughs> okay yeah yeah the good timing the trash uh, pickup just drove by so um, my dog
0: will stop barking at some point too so don't worry
2: about yeah, it yeah
1: yeah so anyways um yeah i had no hr background i had no hr experience and there was an opportunity Um, in HR leadership that came up just as I was ending uh, a different role that I was doing. And uh, a lot of people on the management team thought that I would be well-suited for the role. And I didn't really understand it, understand why they would think that way because I had no HR background. But when I started to think about the opportunity and the possibility of leading our HR team, I thought about the idea that, you know, the company is just made up of a group of people, and if we can help these people be better, um, just just as human beings, right? Uh, healthier, happier, more self-actualized, um, more skills to be able to perform their roles at a high level, um, development opportunities to to grow as people, um, that we would be a better company for it. So um, I took the role on and uh, really approached HR sort of as a business person more so than an HR person. So, you know, my approach and my perspective was just inherently different because I didn't have the background. I was doing a lot of learning and catch up on all things HR, but um, I was just coming at it from the standpoint of, Hey, how do we make our business better Um, the same way I did in every other role? How do we strengthen our business? Um, This time it was just through the context of people, which, you know, really is the context of kind of everything because people are everything. There's nothing that humans don't touch. So, um, that's sort of how I got involved in HR and what my background was before HR and just sort of how I, how I approach things.
0: Yeah. I if you take people out of the business, then you have no energy in the business and therefore no business. So, uh, um, you know, it's, and that's what, I find interesting is that we feel the need to have a department that, you know, manages human resources. It makes it sound so clinical and uh, kind of robotic in a way, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. um, I just read, I've been reading the book Conscious Capitalism by John Mackey, which is a a classic book and I I just have never gotten to it. And I just started it and it's great and one of the things he says and I'll I'll just sort of sum it up because I don't know if he says it in this way but he says that humans aren't a resource they're actually the source mm-hmm. so um you know thinking about it that way um they're the source of everything every idea every action everything that everything that a company does results from a human being and and they're the source of everything. And so, yeah, I agree with you. I think the term human resources is starting to kind of trickle away. Most company, new companies, now they're calling it people or, you know, culture or or whatever. Um, The thing I always talk about is it doesn't matter what you call the department. What matters is the energy that you bring to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But to your point um, the term human resources, it, to me, it's almost like the word consumers, like when people refer to human beings as consumers, it sort of like reduces us a little bit to, oh, we're just a, a consumer or, oh, we're mm-hmm. just a resource for the company. And I think it's, um, it is a bit dehumanizing. So I agree. I, I, Yeah, not to be super nitpicky on words, but words can be powerful and matter. So, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you.
0: So. If you look at your position as it was in HR before, what would you say the function or the perceived function of HR was from management's perspective, but also from uh, uh, the employee's uh, perspective? And then I suppose from there, we can start picking that apart.
1: Yeah, Um, and and I just realized I, as I was kind of doing my intro, I never really got to what I do now. Right. So, um, I'll I'll start with your question now because I think it's a perfect lead in. Um, I think that most people's perception of HR outside of HR, the first thing, and I never realized this actually, because I always understood, Hey, here's what HR does. So I'll get to that in a second. But what I actually didn't realize for a long time is that there are a lot of employees within a business that have no idea what hr does so sometimes the perception is i have no clue what they do right and um if you have some sort of profit sharing model within your company or some sort of bonus structure where the employees have a vested interest in the financial performance of the company that can be a huge negative because it's looked at as just overhead and if they don't understand what hr does they're like why are we why are we paying this money for overhead when it could be, you know, going into our profit sharing pool or something like that? So that was one of the, the most interesting things that I learned actually somewhat recently. Um, but when it comes to employees that do have some baseline understanding of what HR does, um, I believe that the perception is that it, it's mostly an administrative department, that they're processing, they're processing payroll, they're administrating benefits, they're you know, posting jobs on the internet. They're gathering the resumes that come back. They're coordinating interviews. They're processing the new hires. They're doing uh, write-ups or discipline for employees that aren't performing. They're um, coordinating with legal to make sure that we are in compliance. Um, you know, as a business, with all the laws and regulations that we need to be in compliance with. So, um, I, I think that is the perception and. Um, rightfully so. I think for a long time, that is the way that HR has been. It's been an administrative compliance driven department. Um, The disconnect comes in where, um, when we talk about how people in HR perceive HR, because many or most HR people, they do believe that HR has value to add and can add value. But They perceive that the business only thinks of them as being administrative or compliance driven. So it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where as an HR team, you don't even know where to start because you don't have what I would call a seat at the table to actively be a part of working on the business with all the other business functions. Many HR teams don't have or don't feel like they have a seat at the table. Um, And it just becomes kind of this self perpetuating loop where, hey, we want to add value to the business, but we can't because we don't have a seat at the table. But the reason we don't have a seat at the table is because the business perceives that we're not a value add department. We're a compliance and administrative-driven team, and therefore we don't need a seat at the table. So it's kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy, this infinite loop. So, um, you know, what my work is focused on now is helping HR teams make that transformation from compliance-driven, administrative, to true value-add business partners. Um, and and in that gap, there is a transformation that needs to happen, um, and it's everything from, you know, it's not. It's not just processes and, and skills that we need on our team, but it's mindset shift. We have to shift our mindset as hr to being more value add so does that answer the question?
0: Uh, well, half of it, but i, I okay. suppose I, I can uh, make a statement for the other half yeah. and you can, uh, let me know if uh, uh, <laughs> that resonates with you uh, so from a management p- perspective, i I think they would typically see HR as a function to control the human resources of the company.
1: In many ways, yes, I, I agree. And when when you say management, you mean company management,
0: yeah. So the direction, so, the the uh, the you know executive I, I think, management.
1: Yeah, be- so I think a big. Thing that executive management wants from HR is, um, you know, how there's just some stuff in your life that you're just like, I just want that taken care of, right. right? Like your car right now, it's in the shop, you don't need to go to the shop and watch them perform the work, you don't need to double check it. You pro- probably couldn't double check it if you wanted to to say, Hey, like, did they go to do a good job? You're just gonna be like, I just need that taken care of. I don't wanna have to think about it. I don't wanna have to worry about it. All I wanna worry about is that when my foot pushes that pedal on the right, it drives. And when it pushes the pedal on the left, it slows down and it stops, right? So I think what's important for management because they don't understand the things like legal and compliance and benefits and payroll, they just want it to work, right? So for HR, it's like, hey, we just want you to like keep the wheels moving, keep the wheels turning. And when we need something from you, we'll ask, right? When we need you to post this job, we'll ask. When we need this person to be fired, we'll ask. We'll just both we'll call you, right? Um, and that's when you get into a really reactive HR team. And um, again, it's not to point fingers or say whose fault is it or or, or how do we start to to turn that shift. But I believe that that's how man- executive management, thinks of of HR. Now, to your point about controlling the people, um, I think absolutely there's an element of that, right? I think if you have a poor leader, and I'll, I'll I hesitate to use the word poor because I don't want to turn it into a ju- judgment thing of you know good bad, but um, for the sake the, of, leader of the conversation, leadership is
0: not uh, quite. Uh... Conscious and aware of purpose. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, You need to use control, right? This person isn't doing what I want them to do. Therefore, if I give them a written warning, I will evoke their fear of losing their job. And therefore, they will have to do what I say because they're scared that if they don't do what I ask them to do or perform at the level I'm asking them to perform at, that they'll lose their job so that's a you know that's a fear-based mm-hmm. structure right and that's very very common it's something uh, that
0: so essentially a manager who doesn't trust uh the the competence of uh, his or her employees
1: i would say doesn't trust the competence or doesn't have the ability to have a conversation with that person and say you know you're, you're still not meeting your performance goals. What's going on? How can it be better? What's What are your barriers? What's getting in the way, right? A true leader will work through that with their people to really understand what the issues are, what the barriers are, and be side by side with that person to help them overcome those barriers and either grow or develop within themselves, or maybe it's an external barrier that's getting in their way of being successful, but whatever it is, It's an interactive process and it's a conscious process, but if you're not able to do that as a leader, you might just lean on this crutch that can be HR to say, hey, you know, I've had this conversation with them three times. Things haven't changed or improved. We need to give them a written warning to strike fear in them to try to motivate different behavior when that conversation, quote unquote, conversation that they've had three times might not actually have been an effective conversation. It might just be a one-way, hey, you got to start doing better. And if you don't, there are going to be consequences, right? And so um, when you bring up you know, the ideas of controlling the people, that's what it makes me think of. And I think traditionally, there's a ton of that in business.
0: So what happens, uh, or rather, if we have a bunch of these, Managers or directors or leaders in a business who use the stick as opposed to the carrot or they they lead by appointment as opposed to uh, coach by uh, uh, by by consent. Um, how can HR work to kind of mitigate that challenge uh, of leadership yeah so i i understand um, that's part of your the work that you do with hr to yeah kind of empower them to do that
1: yeah and i think that's where the challenge comes in right because um you know you you can only kind of control what you can control right if you're an hr leader you have you have influence over hr and and within your your team but to your point what if you have a whole host of managers that want to do things the old school way
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and just to to quickly interject there when you say you know carrot or stick to me obviously you know everybody realizes hey stick that's kind of like an old school management tactic but to me carrot is still it's in the same context. It might not be.
0: Yeah. That's um, why as, I, I realized that's, that's why I shifted. My, yeah. Right. <laughs> my well, no,
1: but it's, it's interesting that, that you, you said it the way you did and bring it up because it's still this, this old paradigm of, you know, can I get the behavior I want by either uh, threatening pain or, um, dangling potential pleasure. Right yeah. And that's still an old school paradigm, so um, but and but maybe we'll circle back to that later, but um you know, to your question of hey, if you have a a whole group of managers or, or top leaders that's still operating that old paradigm, how can HR shift and I mean, the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is like you know you you can't help people that don't want to be helped, right, right. and you can't you can't try to evolve consciousness in a business that doesn't want to raise its consciousness. So if you are an HR leader or have an HR team that wants to operate in a higher consciousness way and operate in this new paradigm, but the rest of the business doesn't, um, it's, you know, the efforts might be futile. I know it's not like a great answer, right? I don't have a a great answer to say, Oh, you can, you know, magically do this to, you know get the managers to start diff- thinking differently but if they don't want to think differently they're not going to think differently i mean i think the the best thing that an hr team that wants to evolve its business in this way can do is to try to influence top leadership that operating in these new ways will make for a better more successful business so you know a book like conscious capitalism getting that into the hands of a ceo that can be very powerful to say, hey, as a business, we need to evolve in these ways, right? And part of that means leadership, not just top leadership, but all throughout the organization that operates in a new way, in a new paradigm where it's not carrot or stick, it's engagement, it's purpose-driven, it's you know, being coach-like, it's um, inspiring and motivating employees um, to grow and be better and achieve more for the sake of fulfilling our our shared purpose and what we want to do. So, um, you know, to, to me, I guess, to to sum up and answer to your question, I would say it's just about trying to inspire others to want to be at those higher consciousness ways of being.
0: Well, no, I think that is what you can do when you are when you're dealing with other people who are not quite on the same page yet, um, Mm -hmm. is to, you know, perhaps uh, start training managers in mental first aid, Uh, help, you know, when there are new leaders coming up, people being promoted, set up a training program that helps train them as coaches so that you slowly but surely inject this idea of uh, the coach as a leader as opposed to the leader who's there to just shuffle information from uh, upstairs down downstairs as it were
1: yeah now most people would tell you that hey i want to grow i want to learn i want to improve i want to be better um the act of doing that can be more challenging and more threatening sometimes to to they they want
0: they want to do it if someone can do it for them. When they realize they have to do it themselves it's oftentimes uh yeah i don't have time at the moment
1: right yeah yeah well it can be scary and threatening to start yeah. challenging old you know belief system and all the ways of being it can be um very yeah, personally threatening and, and and you know hit the ego in different ways so sure. um if, if you can again inspire and motivate people to want to raise their level of consciousness maybe not saying it in that way but um, if you can spot inspire them to want to raise their level of consciousness then you can start to i think introduce those things um, and that has to happen for you know any business that wants to start to look and feel like the ways that you know we talk about how the future of business and the future of human organizations can start to look
0: well, I think it's no different from uh, you know, the communities that we live in. The only way I'm going to en- enact change around me is to show up as a role model, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. be the change I want to see in the world. Uh, browbeating others into agreeing with me is never going to be successful because if they are not ready to agree with or to change or agree with me or you know at least have a, a, a empathy for my position or an understanding um they might just end up getting even further away right so the only way I oh. can enact change is by being the change I want to see and being a role model and can create a proof of concept right
1: yeah 100 I mean you know, you see a big divide in society these days and people who disagree with each other um, are fighting over who is in power and who has the authority to really create the rules, the ground rules and the context in which we live. And those are mechanisms of control, right? So many people would rather impose rules upon others as a way of getting them to do what they want to see them do. Rather than what you said, which I fully wholeheartedly agree with, which is, yeah, be just just be the change that you want to see it's it's almost become a cliche now because it's such a great quote by Gandhi that you know we should be the change that we wish to see in the world, but um that that is the only way to ever change others is to change yourself,
0: yeah and being uh, having strong boundaries in that showing up as that role model and not di uh, kind of divert from it because then you will bring that powerful energy into the community the company or whatever and then just by being and existing you you people around you who are are kind of halfway there already they will be fully embracing that uh, change Uh, so Mm -hmm. i think when we're looking at Organizations in general, and you, you'll know exactly where I get this from from uh, re, reorganization uh, uh, reinventing organizations, uh, the book that a lot of these functions that we have in businesses are there because management don't trust necessarily trust those below them to perform at their best so they have to be in some way controlled so we have hr policies we have uh, uh, you know punitive measures whatever it may be right um so if we ended up in a utopia where we suddenly have in this case uh you know no managers and leadless or kind of self-managing units in the organization what's um, what's going to happen to hr what what part of hr is would be essential to a an organization what what, what parts would be uh, kind of farmed out and trusted uh, allowed kind of allowed for the employees themselves to deal with
1: yeah that is a really good question um, and it's not one that I've thought of recently, um, well, probably <laughs> since reading the book. Yeah, um, because that's uh, ultimately the idea of of a self managed organization is that responsibilities are distributed throughout the company, right? So when you need to, you know, recruit for a new person to join your team, is it an HR team trying to find that person, or is it the entire team coming together and saying, "Who do we want?" To join our team, let's go find them. Um, what what comes to mind when you ask the question initially is, I think administrative things that should be centralized, like for example, payroll. Um, I I don't imagine payroll being done in a decentralized way or a distributed way um, throughout a. a a larger organization even a mid-sized organization i
0: mean just the 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 kind of act of tracking and processing uh, yeah processing
1: yeah Yeah. um uh, i i don't i don't see um how that would make sense same thing with benefits administration um you know again i i think of things sort of in terms of like the mid-sized business because that's kind of the so there's so many mid-sized businesses that have a centralized payroll and, and, and benefits function. I don't see why or how it would make sense to have, you know, if you have a company that's got 10 locations and each location has 10 people at it, to have, you know, each team responsible for administering their own payroll and benefits. Right. I, I don't see that. Um, I do see a benefit to some centralized recruitment in terms of the management aspect of recruitment. So you know, posting jobs. Um, I think there needs to be collaboration in terms of, hey, what are we looking for? So that the people posting the jobs can make sure that the descriptions can be right. It can be a
0: more advisory role of...
1: Exactly. When, when a
0: group comes and says, oh, we need this new person, the HR can help write the
1: exactly the
0: job ad and so forth. So, and yeah, from my I understand, when you're talking about payroll and benefits, because now, HR is very much the policy maker, or they they kind of write the policy based on what management said, right? So rather, and that's something that would be kind of taken away from them. Yeah, they basically then are there to action whatever the 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 teams have come up with, or uh, you know what comes yeah. from the floor. So.
1: Well, I do think that in a in a potentially self managed or more autonomous organization, the need for I'll, I'll be very clear on my words here the need for policies I believe it diminishes right mm-hmm. because again this policy the idea of policy is the idea of it's some sort of you know edict where if you are not doing these things there are consequences right you're in violation of the policies and I think that's the old paradigm. The new paradigm that we're shifting more toward are ground rules, best practices, um, values. How, how do we deal
0: with someone not doing the or people perceiving someone not doing their job? How do we deal with that process rather than saying, "If exactly. you don't do your job, this is going to happen"?
1: Yeah, because policies are in place. Um, to their their um their replacement for judgment right
2: Mm -hmm.
1: like we had a bereavement policy companies have a bereavement policy you know and the reason is because if they didn't there it would be unclear hey how much time could we take Mm. so let's imagine a a self-managed organization where someone on you, you have a team of 10 and they they lose their uncle And they were very close to the uncle and they're just absolutely broken up. And the team says, grief, just go grief. We'll take care of everything here. Don't worry about it. Be with your family. When you're ready to come back, come back. And if it's the type of person that you want on your team, maybe they're gone a week, maybe they're gone two weeks, whatever. But they take the time that they need and then they come back. And they're like, thank you that i uh, i needed that time to be with my family and to grieve right where the policy today is okay it was your uncle if it was a direct family member you get three days but because it was an uncle you only get two days right and it it just takes judgment out of people's hands so i think to your to your daughter idea about policies Again, it's it, they're they're a substitute for judgment, and in that self-managed organization future, we're giving judgment and we're giving the power back to the people to make those calls for themselves.
0: Well, we um, we start trusting the people that actually work in the organization that they they have the interest of the organization uh, as priority, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And part of the interest of the organization is the well-being of its people, right? Mm-hmm. So the they do align. Right. Um, so so yeah, to, to go back to your initial question, I, I think a lot of that stuff would go away because you don't need to check with HR. What's the policy saying? What am I allowed to do? You're making those judgment calls by yourselves, but mm-hmm. true administrative processing functions like payroll benefits, maybe some recruitment. Um, I think there's a, a place for HR in the self-managed organization. I also do believe that even in a a fully self-managed organization, there will be centers of excellence, right? Like you you can't tell me that just because we're autonomous or self-managed that we're not going to have an IT team, right? You're going to want a center of excellence that, you know, administrates IT infrastructure for for the entire company, right? It's just, so you're going to have, Centers of excellence, I think that's probably, I I like that term. Um, And I think HR would be a center of excellence for talent. You know, things like people development, um, even performance evaluation, saying, hey, as a team, we all came together and said, we want to evaluate all of our individual performance. What tools do we have to help us do that? HR, can you help us with that process? Right. Um, I think it'll all be about talent being growth, more of a
0: support function as opposed to a governing function.
1: Yeah, well said. I think it's about how do we support the growth of the individuals in our company, It truly at an individual level, to make sure that everyone is has the resources and the opportunities to grow and become, um, a, you know, grow as a human being and as a, um, an employee
0: what do you think is the reason why leadership don't trust the subordinates to uh, have the interest of the company at heart it was a loaded question because i have an answered. <laughs> yeah I, well i'm
1: thinking about it because the the first thing is that it assumes that leadership doesn't trust the employees to have the best interest of the company at heart and you know, to me, it's a, it 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 all. It makes me think of priorities, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It may not be that I don't have the best interest of the company at heart. Maybe I do really care about the company, have the best interest of the company, but maybe based on my circumstances right now, other things are superseding that, right? So it's like if I am not being paid a living wage where I can pay my bills it doesn't matter how much i love the company i'll probably start looking for a job elsewhere
2: right
1: um, but i think it's i think about it in two ways you know and cuz this theme has come up a couple times of of management and their trust in the employees i think that top management if executive management is putting in place a whole lot of policies and procedures and structures it's not that they don't trust the employees it actually to me is more of an indictment of their trust on middle level management to get things done without
3: what? those st- structures in place so
1: but i think what drives that it's funny let's say uh, so no, now let's take it back down to to the frontline employee level let's say you have a team of 10 people and they're, they're on the manufacturing shop floor, and you're the manager. If you're out there with the people on the shop floor all day, you're talking to them, you're saying, hey, what's going on? What can be improved? What's going well?
3: And you are engaged with them as a manager, you're going to
1: know whether or not these people can be relied on to do certain things or not. I think it's the managers that are not engaged with their people that ultimately end up not trusting their people to be able to do those things. They put the structures in place as a substitute for them having to be engaged. So to me, as I'm thinking through it now and talking it out loud, I think it's just a lack of engagement. I think that's
0: absolutely one part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: I think a lot of times managers, they don't even want to be engaged because a lot of managers don't want to be managers. They're you know high level individual contributors. They get the opportunity for a promotion. It comes with more money and more social prestige or recognition to be, oh, I'm at a higher level in my company. So now I'm you know, socially that makes me look and feel better to the rest of my company or even the community because I'm a manager.
0: And it's also Um, the societal expectation that you work in a company, then you do well, you get promoted, right?
1: Yeah. And if I'm not getting promoted, what does that say about me? Right. So I think a lot of managers don't want to be managers. They don't want to lead a team of people and be engaged with their team. Um, they just want to come into work and do their own thing and that's fine you know there are a lot of people that are out there that are like look i just want to come in show up do my job go home like you know but if you if that's your mindset and you're in a management role you're not going to be engaged with your team and if you're not engaged with your team you're not going to really know what's going on and if things are struggling and you don't know what's going on you're probably going to put more structure into place to try to ensure that the results are met because there's. Pressure now being put on you, so um, I think it's probably more that
0: I think inherently it's because typically the company's purpose is to make money for the investors mm-hmm. and the owners um, and typically the people that are further up the uh, uh, the the food chain as it were, because the higher up you the more mon- money you make, right so the people on the shop floor are there to make money for the ones higher up. So the, the, the when you have that kind of uh, egotistical purpose in a the business, then you are right not to trust someone to work for your interests when they have no interest in what they're there to do. So it becomes, like you say, yeah. it becomes that... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be here to get my paycheck. There is no deeper sense of purpose in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I appreciate what you said. It's almost like a projection of mistrust. It's basically saying, you don't have a reason to trust me.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So I'm not going to trust you. Because why would I trust that you're going to do this for me when I don't even think that you should be doing it for me exactly i, I wouldn't trust myself <laughs> yeah if i was in your shoes i wouldn't care either yeah right it, it's it's an admission right so um,
0: what can you yeah. do in terms of working with hr departments to start shifting that around to see how we can inject a, a bigger or deeper uh, more Holistic purpose into organization.
1: I think it all starts with company purpose. Mm -hmm. I I think if you don't have a higher purpose as a business, um I, I don't even if it's not some, you know, beautiful conscious capitalism esque purpose, even if it's something like um, you know, if you're a manufacturing company and you're just like we just want to just want to make, make great products or yeah. we just want to make we just want to make high quality products mm. which actually that is one of the four purposes that conscious capitalism you know has which is i think it's like beauty or something like we just want to make high quality products
0: well, i think um, it's also why do you want to make good quality products
1: Mm -hmm. well you can go deeper but i'm saying even if a a, a company hasn't even gone deeper and deeper and deeper into like deeper purpose some sort of if you have nothing um what are people what are they working for even if it's you know, we've been a company for, you know, 50 years, we've been in business, and we take pride in the fact that we've been around for so long and we want to go another 50 more years and then another 50 after that. Even even something like that. If you have nothing, and I think most companies do have something. It's 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 weak, it's not as strong as a deeper purpose, but they they have something anchoring them in terms of what what are we trying to accomplish here beyond making money. But the deeper you go, the more engagement throughout the company that you're going to get. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but ultimately it's tough. It's tough if, you, if top management hasn't rallied around some sort of purchase and they have purpose and they haven't communicated that through the organization and they haven't lived it themselves, it's just going to be hollow
0: well i think if you get a grassroots movement going and so we and i, I want to bring this to the benefit of uh, anyone listening to this that you know or they have a uh, you know something they engaged with a community project or some charity or something like that to just bring that to the company and try to get people around them interested in that, or just uh, you know get them to come along and volunteer and help out, and then try to make it kind of work its way into the company so that it becomes the part of the fabric of the kind of grassroots, because that then can spread upwards. Uh, if you get that critical mass, then you can go to HR and say, listen, 90 percent of everybody uh, at this level of the company would like to do something uh, uh, from uh, have the company do something in terms of uh, you know uh, helping uh, homeless through uh, soup kitchens or whatever it may be Mm -hmm. Um, what can we do from a corporate i think this would be a great way to uh, have people uh, really uh, get fired up uh, for the company and you know see that the company is doing something good for the community and so forth uh, so i i think there's great opportunities like we said before you know you have to show up as a role model and that's how you're going to make change so if you show up as a role model and you get other people involved and engaged then that can spread and then then it becomes the, a higher purpose it becomes there who i am part of this movement because that, that's what people want in companies as far as i'm concerned when you go to work you want to be part of something that is going to be uh, a change maker so when you go and talk to your yeah. family and or friends and you meet people on a party you want to kind of want to tell people that i work for this company and because everybody knows that you're doing this wonderful work in the uh, you know in society mm-hmm. or you, you're a change maker right
1: yeah absolutely and i i think the the thought that it triggers to me and, and maybe this hits more kind of on the the previous question that you asked was hr ultimately i think needs to be an advocate for the people and the purpose right so what can hr do HR i think needs to be the function that pushes top leadership to want to buy in to purpose
3: um, and then
1: to to your point about you know grassroots movements i mean i think that stuff is very powerful it can be threatening i think if if frontline employees start to threaten the power or authority or autonomy of middle or higher level management it can be potentially threatening you know whether it's in an organization or or in a country right and it can become adversarial i think that's the biggest challenge with those things so you have to bridge that gap in some sort of way and mm-hmm. to your point i think hr can be that bridge right and not that there should be a bridge there shouldn't be separation between the people and top management right there's hopefully but, there shouldn't is. Be. but if there is hr can be that bridge that says hey here's what the people are saying
0: well here's- i think inherently because you have this uh, this separation in power between grassroots and management there is inherently a border there's a line there's a difference there's a there is that gap and there's that differentiation right so uh, so i think any organization that had a traditional kind of up down structure uh, you're going to find that that challenge
1: yeah yeah and i think that's where hr can be a huge support right mm-hmm. to take what the people are saying feeling, experiencing, and distill that down and present it to middle and top level management in a way that's uh, conscious and digestible and says, hey, you know, here's what's happening. And here's what we can can do about it. But it's not just, hey, I want to put in place these policies or make these changes. It's it requires the individuals in the organization to change. It requires top management to evolve their perspectives on business and all the things that they've ever known about how businesses should and are supposed to operate. Um, and, And that's where, again, HR can help be that guide to guide them through. And I know that's a lot of what your work is focused on, right? Is, hey, let's Guide people at an individual level to help them personally make that shift to to seeing business and seeing human organizations in a new paradigm and in a new context.
0: Yeah, and so from why, uh, and I certainly agree with you uh, in this. But what I hear you say is that we uh, HR can shift from a um, so I would say a tool of control from uh, leadership to being a a cheerleader and a support and a bridge for the grassroots in the company.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, you summed it up really well. And um, this has been really helpful for me to talk to personally. I think I've even kind of evolved some of my thoughts here on or crystallized some thoughts on what is the role that hr can play and i think that is a beautiful one right helping facilitate organizational shift at an individual level to higher levels of consciousness and more evolved ways of being and operating
2: yeah and i
0: think today one of the functions that hr has is employee retention and employee satisfaction right so yeah. i think if any employee comes with a business case that surrounds purpose but supports retention and satisfaction they would listen and that would give them an opportunity to look good for in front of management as well so that would be a a, a an opportunity for change
1: wouldn't it yeah absolutely i think um you know the it's like the classic trojan horse right sometimes Mm -hmm. you can't get into the door saying the thing that just directly right because people either aren't going to understand it they're not going to resonate with it they might not agree
2: but if you can
1: they might not be Mm -hmm. ready so if you can start to talk about hey here are ways that we can solve challenges that we're experiencing today, um, then you start to get people's attention. And I do think that re- employee retention and employee engagement, which are are pretty much not, well, I shouldn't say they're not different. They're very interconnected. Um, engagement has a lot to do with, with retention. It's not the only thing, but it's it's a critical piece of retention. Retention is the biggest thing right now for all companies and all HR teams. Um, it's the biggest thing because I think it was what, 40%, I should know this figure off, head, off hand, but it's like 40% of people change jobs every year now.
2: Yeah. You know?
1: So you, you companies, you're turning over half your workforce. Um, that's,
0: that means money, that's expensive. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, we we don't even have to spend time getting into how destructive that is to a company, not only from the time and the money it waste, but the lack of continuity and the progress that you're not able to make because you don't uh, have a team that, that has continuity and staying power. So if you, if you as an organization have 100% retention and your competitor has 50, you're moving and they're, they're not. You can't move when you're that disjointed. You can't move forward. So um, it, it's huge. And if you have a group of people who are fairly compensated, bought into the mission and the greater purpose, empowered to perform their role as they see fit, with the latitude and judgment to to make those, you know, live the way that they, they want to live. Um, you offer them flexible work that respects their personal life. And um, they're in a role that they enjoy doing and that they're good at, and they feel a sense of accomplishment like, yeah, I'm good at doing this. Um, that's pretty much your formula for never losing an employee, right? I mean, I, Absolutely. what else is there to it? You know?
0: No, exactly. But that is threatening to many in leadership or in management because <laughs> that would mean to relinquish a great deal of power.
1: Yes. Yeah. You. Yeah. The old paradigm of business and management was, was more control and in, you know, the industrial revolution and, and, you know, manufacturing and, and those types of things, uh, environments uh, many, many years ago, it was the next step. It made sense of the next step. And as a human, you know, species and our consciousness, we've just, we've outgrown it. And the the new wave is shifting more toward releasing control. Yeah, and connecting. Uh, it's yeah. more about connecting
3: yeah. than controlling.
0: And yeah, exactly. And the, I think that's exactly why we have that the the big uh, problem with the retention rates is because we have generations coming up now that are operating in a new paradigm. In an old paradigm, so you have mm-hmm. this this. It's disjointed. It's uh, incoherent. <laughs> it it just doesn't uh, resonate on the same level. So, mm-hmm. and uh, clearly the old uh, the new generations, they're not going to change. So they're the ones mm-hmm. that are going to be the ones taking over. So, if mm-hmm. we want to be part of the game, and I am uh, certainly not part of the <laughs> I'm the older generations these days. Um, you know, we're the ones that are going to have to uh, change it in order to stay ahead of the curve.
1: Yeah, and the, the younger generation, the, they they will job hop until they find it. Yeah. There, there is there's no limit, right? It's not like eventually they're just gonna settle on you know whatever company. They're they're not going to accept it. They're not going to accept it, and they'll job hop until they until they find it. And when they do just like any other person they'll be happy yeah um but i fully agree
0: yeah because i i <laughs> i mean the businesses i've run and i used to complain myself about millennials and uh gen z and so forth well not gen Z because i've kind of started operating in a different way after gen Z came into the uh, workforce but either way we complained about them as opposed to starting to look at how can we operate within the expectations of what they're coming with, and why are they coming up with that? Um, and I, I think some companies started understanding that rather than persisting it. They said, "You know what? you, you know, the millennials, that's our workforce." So if mm-hmm. we don't understand them, we're not going to have a workforce.
1: Yeah, and I think the important thing to remember is every generation complains about the next generation. Like this is not a new thing, right? Yeah. It's not like oh, well, millennials are so different. It's like, well, I'm
3: yes, millennials some some
1: complain about different. my
0: generation, Gen X. Years, yeah, so. exactly.
1: <laughs> and uh, I, I came across a great Twitter thread some time ago, and it was. Just newspaper clippings and articles, literally going back to like the 1800s about how the younger generation they just don't want to work anymore. They don't. What happened to work ethic, right? Uh Articles from the 70s, 60s, 50s, going back literally the late 1800s. It's like every generation thinks that about the the up the coming up generation because they're just motivated differently. So it's not that they Uh don't want to work; it's that they're not driven to work by the same things that the previous generation was driven by. So you have to understand that and connect with people to understand, well, what drives you as an individual? Mm. You know, generations are different and individuals within generations are all different too.
2: Yeah,
0: that that is interesting and uh, and, uh, I never reflected on it that way, but yeah, it it is very true. Um, What do you think the responsibility is of companies for the general state of health in society mental and physical
1: health mm. oh man I, I, that's a big question um
0: well if you, know, off, do I, you think there's a, there should be any sense of responsibility on a, an employer's uh, part
1: when you say responsibility do you mean in terms of like laws and regulations
0: uh, no more moral responsibility.
1: Moral? Well, I mean, yeah. In, I mean, in that sense, absolutely. I think every every individual, I believe, has a personal responsibility to.
3: I'm trying to find the right words here. <laughs> I believe everybody has the power and
1: the responsibility to. Okay. I would say to to do their own personal healing work to try to oh, for themselves uh, really, yes. uh, uh, uplift their own individual consciousness and thus, as a result, uplift the consciousness of our entire world, right
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: we're we're all in on this planet together. we're all in this together. we're all living together. We're more connected than ever. you know we used to be in our individual tribes then we were in our cities and our states and our countries now the whole world is connected So we're, we're all we're fully together in this and yes we have responsibility to the whole um i think def- defining what that responsibility what our responsibility to the whole is i think that can be dangerous i think mm-hmm. dictating what someone else's responsibility is i think that's 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 dangerous i think that we um I think we all need to figure that out for ourselves as to what am i here to contribute to this world
0: well i like Um, that approach uh i think and yes i didn't mean from a uh, legal point of view because i just want to clarify yeah no i I don't think that uh changing things by legal uh, using the laws uh in the long run is not a solution it could be it can be something that can help jolt people to shift the perspective but in the long yeah. run i think it's uh, detrimental to uh, expand on uh, the legal yes. frameworks that we have um I, I think rather go the other way uh, get less of yeah. it um but um no and i i totally agree with your perspective there as well that it is our individual responsibilities to show up as the best version of ourselves. Uh, And when we see someone who is struggling, then we address it, we approach them. And we allow them to, uh, you know, or help them to find the right help or, and this is where, you know, bringing like mental first aid into organizations that people are aware of and it becomes also top of mind because we do spend vast majority of our time working in our workplaces right so um it is so i think from a moral perspective i think the company as a collective have a responsibility has a responsibility um and the collective Absolutely. is then, of course, made up of individuals. But from that perspective, yeah, I think it's it is a responsibility to perhaps not focus your team building exercises around alcohol. Uh, perhaps uh, you know, be introducing uh, more uh, kind of wholeless, wholesome, uh, wholesome uh, pursuits. So whether that mm-hmm. being you know. Uh, through uh meta, you know mindfulness exercises or retreats or whatever it may be, but we have this idea that we go out and get stupid drunk together and that uh, gels the uh, uh the uh, groups as it were right
1: Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying and your initial question was uh along the lines of a, a, a company's responsibility to the health and well-being. Mm of their employees um again i I would answer for myself and say you know hey if i owned a company or when i was you know a a part of a company that i owned um health and wellness was important to me and and you know we invested a lot of resources into helping our employees be healthier um physically mentally emotionally Um, if we had a party or a, a get together in the break room uh, yeah, I, I pushed for hey, let's have healthier food options, right? Um, if, if I took the team out for you know something recreational, yeah, it wasn't around. Hey, let's let's all get drunk. So for me personally, that's that's what I believe. Um, and and if I, you know, started a business today that had employees, I would certainly make sure that we didn't have vending machines with soda in our offices. Because I would say, I don't, I don't want that stuff here. I don't think it's healthy for anyone. So if you want to get it elsewhere, that's fine. But um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna provide it. But I'll provide water and healthy things, things like that. Um, and and you know, I hope that other individuals and other companies see that need and want to to do the same.
0: Yeah, and I think that's apart from where. You know Silicon Valley got the work life balance totally skewed uh, I think that's one part that they actually got right was to provide um, an environment at least you know in the in the tech boom uh, I don't know if it's like that anymore but you know provide um uh, opportunities for people to just step out of the work function for a moment and um, you know have food. And you know, healthy food available to them in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. um Now, of course, the the uh, the motivation of the companies was to make sure that they stayed at work yeah, more than everything. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So yeah, they they kind of got that wrong.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it, uh it's it, an interesting it, one.
0: Yeah. So, it, but I think there are ways that we can, uh, you know, as companies, we can help uh, people to uh, realize healthy options whether it could be you know uh, allow uh, i know mind valley for example is a a company in the training space and they they give their employees five hours a week to uh, for uh, Mm. self-development whether you know studying meditation whatever it is uh, and they have a Amazon library where you can check out books and so you can spend those five hours reading, right?
2: That's
3: awesome.
0: So there, there are ways that you can do that and empower the employees to make choices as to what they want. Um, so I think there are certainly are ways of doing that and, or you could even bring someone in to teach healthy cooking or, you know, 30 minute healthy meals or whatever it may be uh so you empower people to make better choices for themselves rather than uh saying this is how you have to be
1: Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely it's inspiration education empowerment yeah those are and of course modeling the behaviors yourself you know that's how you start to influence change
0: so if we're looking at now individuals that are listening to this, we've talked about it a little bit, but if what will be the best way for people to use HR as a collaborator in creating a better environment for themselves and their colleagues around them? How can they bring their ideas into the company and how can they sell it in, as it were?
1: So uh, just to clarify, you're talking about you know how can employees go to their HR teams to to try to enact change for themselves?
0: Yeah, and the exchange, enact change for the company. So being that being that seed that starts the grassroots movement kind of thing. Um, yeah. Because I, I think a lot of people that do listen to this podcast are interested in their own self-development, but also to to start shifting the needle. And I think a lot of people feel powerless because, oh, I'm just the one employee, right? So, how how can they go from being the one employee to being the one of many to be part of that Mm -hmm. collective consciousness that is now shifting the needle and enacting massive change within uh, uh, an an organization?
1: Yeah, I I think one of the most important things that that you can't do is bring only feedback um the reality is that uh hr teams are they're stretched they're stretched and they're burnt out um almost without exception i have not talked to an hr team or professional you know within the last couple years that's not stretched burnt out and and fully full right
0: they get kicked from all different directions
1: Yeah. So if you come come to the HR team and say, Hey, I have an idea. We need to be doing more charitable things as a company, we need to be giving back. It's like you're just lumping an idea on top of their pile of things that they already have to do. So they're gonna say, Oh, that sounds that sounds great. I'm gonna I'm gonna process payroll and I'm gonna recruit for all these open positions because these are the things that have to get done to keep the business running. Um, so you know you you can't be of the idea that aspirational things are are ever going to take priority over um, the foundational things that need to get done to keep the wheels turning on the business and keep the business running. Um, so I think if if that's the case for a company where the HR team doesn't have the capacity to start to do those things, I think employees, um, they need to take it upon themselves. If you want to, Um, get your company more involved in charitable giving, you know, identify a charity that you think aligns with, you know, your company's mission or, or your, just your business segment, Um, make a contact at that, at a nonprofit that, you know, is aligned with that, get support from your fellow employees, talk to other people on your team or across the organization and say, hey, what do you think about this idea? Do you think this would be a good idea? Get their feedback, get their ideas, start to put something together, and maybe it's half baked, or maybe it's even almost fully baked by the time you get to HR and say, you know, hey, this is the idea. Um, does somebody on your team want to, you know, kind of be the point person at HR? And you know, you put it in the company newsletter, and uh here, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. It's already done, right? So I, I think the just because of where HR teams are today in terms of their workload and capacity, um if you want to start to enact change, you can't just throw ideas. I mean, it would happen to me and my team, you know, and they're good ideas too. People would have all these ideas. I'm like, I'm like, I got a full slate of ideas and then of things that we're working on right now, and I've got a dozen other ideas that I don't even have the time to get to. So that that's probably the best advice I would give to to an employee that that wants something like that, to to see that.
0: Yeah, and I I think actually one thing I've always told people that I've worked with is, you know, come with the solutions. Mm -hmm. And that kind of scares people because they're afraid to make mistakes. And it's like, no, you know, if you make a mistake, then you haven't solved it, then just try it again. And just keep on going until you've solved it, right? And Mm -hmm. move in the directions so that you can... uh, So if you are trying to bring something, a a, a community efforts into a company and make it more company-wide, perhaps do research on what management or individual managers Mm -hmm. uh, are engaged with. Yeah, so you, you can get that support within the organization as well and and i think at the end of the day as you say hand out over a uh, finished product to uh, hr create something that's going to make them look good
1: yeah yeah and it doesn't have to be um you know externally facing things like charity it can be you know, um, training was always a big one. You know, when I was at my last company, people would come to us and say, we need this, we need this, we need this. You know, what if instead of just coming to HR and say, Hey, we need training in this. If you know that we need training in, in this certain area, what if you went to the person who was the best at that in the company and said, Hey, a lot of people want training on this. You're really good at it. Would you be like open to having a class or like teaching people about this? And they say, "Yeah." bring that to organization oh mary is really good at this thing and everybody wants training in it she's agreed to host a training class on it um you know we want to do it tuesday at, at four um can we do this and do you want to send a, an email out to the rest of the company to say um hey mary's gonna put on this training class for anyone interested in tune in yeah. it's like that's a, a beautiful thing you know that's a learning experience that was just created by the person that had because it's like if you have the spark of the idea anyways a lot of times that person is going to be the best person to start just moving it forward and, and putting the pieces together so um but it, but it brings up a really interesting thought that that you brought up of sort of the empowerment dynamic because we've sort of only talked about it one way right we've talked about the power dynamic of management to employee but what you said was it can be that this idea of hey if you have the idea take and run with it don't ask somebody to solve it for you bring the solution but that scares people because part the the flip side of this power dynamic that we've talked about is a lot of the times when employees expect a manager or hr to just fix all their problems for them mm-hmm. so it's incumbent upon all parties yes management has to release control the way we discussed but at the same time the employee needs to step into their own power and embrace that and not look outside of themselves for their problems to be solved right
0: yeah no absolutely and it's almost like a parent-child relationship in that respect that we kind of fall back into our uh those uh, psychologically or psychological roles as it were um uh, where if we yeah. have too much control at home then we get kind of uh, we we get uh powerless in terms of uh, taking action because we 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 expect that support to come from somewhere else right mm-hmm. and, yeah. yeah i think it's uh, it is part of that di- uh, paradigm of leadership uh, or self-managed organizations is that you take away that relationship and now you expect everybody to be uh, adults. And yeah. you know, if people, the ones that aren't ready to be that, then you help them along the way to become there. That. Uh, that's part of growth. That's part of maturity. That's part of growing up, right?
1: Yeah, one of my favorite um, things that, that he said in reinventing organizations was if someone has to empower you then they're the ones giving you the power and if they're giving you the power that means that it's not actually yours it's something that they've given to you and if someone gives it to you then they could take it away so let's change empower with an em change yeah. it to i am i i am power right, right. i don't need anyone to empower me because if someone has to empower me it still implies a power dynamic where they have to bestow the power onto me but if i can own my power that's the paradigm that i think we're moving toward
0: absolutely absolutely it's not uh,
1: needing permission from anyone to to have to be power
0: no no and it, it is in the current organizations that we have i think it is important to empower people absolutely but at some point where when we reach critical mass where now suddenly there's
2: uh,
0: it's like sweden went uh, in the 60s went from right hand traffic to oh from left hand traffic to right right hand traffic right so i think it was like four o'clock in the afternoon all cars or eight o'clock in the evening something
1: cars had to change Oh, geez. On the
0: sides on the road, right? So you have this moment where you, there is point of no return, where yeah. the board of directors or the owners, whatever, say, okay, from now on, we're not empowering. The power is yours.
1: Yeah. And you it can't be taken power. back. Yeah, because if it, can, it... if it can be taken back, then it's never really given.
0: No, exactly. So... Yeah. Uh, it is like here it is but then yeah. you work towards that you've you've kind of uh, created that within the system um mm-hmm. i don't think uh, it's ever good you wouldn't go to you know ge for example and suddenly the ceo says okay tomorrow we are a self uh, self-managed organization people run around like with like chicken with their heads cut off they wouldn't know yeah. what to do because they had you have to kind of bring on slowly but surely i think
2: mm-hmm.
0: same with children you know do the same thing you don't <laughs> you know suddenly when they're eight years old say okay now you go out and make your make a living for yourself right yeah. uh, they wouldn't know what to do so you have to ease it on right mm-hmm. um so what else do you feel is important what is part of your charge part of your purpose in now from that perspective of human resources or hr do you want to call it something else when you're working or do you find that's too early people wouldn't understand it
1: i to me i don't think it really matters all that much um just semantics I i think it's it is semantics i think if you if you create something totally new and then you want to change the name, go for it. But if you start by changing the name, things are not going to look different anyways. And I think it be co- can become a negative. Right. Say, oh no, it's not HR anymore. It's people and culture. It's like, well, you still do the same things and you operate the same. Ah. So what is it really? You know, Blandish. it's just a name. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, my charge is is to help HR teams make the shift and make the transformation to to saying that first of all recognizing that they are needed in the organization of the future if you want to be a conscious purpose driven people centric business you need to have some one or some group of people advocating for the people for the culture for the purpose at the leadership table and you know sometimes you have a high consciousness ceo that does that but if you don't i believe it it and and honestly even if you do even if you do hr is what is needed to to be that voice for people for culture for purpose at the table um so hr teams need to make a shift a shift in their mindset A shift in the way they operate um, a shift in their skill set and the biggest thing because a lot of times i'm asked like what's like what's the what's the one thing that hr teams need to do to start to make the shift the first thing that i believe hr teams need to do is they need to learn their business because most hr people in my experience and what i what i've seen typically aren't business people. There are a lot of people who have come up through HR, You know, they study HR, go to school for HR, they get their first job in HR, maybe they're an HR coordinator, then they start processing payroll, then they start administrating benefits, then they do some recruiting, then they become a generalist, Then, then they become an HR manager, and they've built up a lot of knowledge and skills and expertise in the HR field, But they don't have the experience and the skills in the business and when that's the case you're not able to approach the business issues through the context of hr because ultimately that's what you want to do the reason that hr in my experience doesn't have a seat at the table is because they're not at the table thinking like a business person talking about the business And a lot of times it's just because they just don't have the experience or knowledge or or skills to be able to do so. And that's okay. Um, But they need to intimately understand their business so that they can sit at the table with all the other functional leaders. Because when the executive team gets together, they're talking in generalities about like, what are our business issues? So, you know, and I'll, I'll just give an example. Let's say you're a business and your biggest challenge. Your biggest issue is, let's say you're a manufacturing company, your biggest issue is output. You have too many customers that want your product and you can't produce enough to get them all. When the, when the leadership team comes to the table, they're, not, they're probably not going to be talking about marketing and how we can acquire new customers. They're talking about what, what is going on? What do we need to do to produce more? Do we need more, more warehouse space? do we are we not getting enough raw materials do we need more raw materials do we not have enough people then whatever as you dig into the issue you're going to say what are the solutions that we need to apply to solve this challenge right it's not the other way around you don't start from function functional area and then work your way mm-hmm. to the issues you start with your issues and work your way down to say how are we going to solve this issue and if the issue is hey, we've got all the raw materials that we need we just don't have the people okay it's an hr issue is it a recruitment issue is it a retention issue is it a training issue maybe we have enough people but their output is here but it could be here yeah. you know so if you can't come to the table talking about the business because you don't understand how the business works and how the business operates you're not going to get a seat at the at the table Um, So that's always the first thing that I talk about with HR teams is you have to intimately understand your business and then start applying HR solutions to the business. Of
0: course.
4: Question, how do you approach somebody on the human relations on the aspects of a holistic point of view on putting everyone on the same platform mentally and emotionally to do the best for the company or the organization?
1: So I want to make sure I understand the the question right. Um, what I think I I heard you asking is, um, how does how does HR try to help ensure that that employees are uh, mentally and emotionally healthy to where they can perform their best work? Is that kind of what you're asking?
4: Yeah, that's part of it.
3: Yeah, I think um, I think. HR teams can engage their employees to understand how they're feeling
1: and how they're showing up to work. Um, It is critically important for all companies to understand, are my people, are they happy? Are they fulfilled? Are they frustrated? Are they depressed? Right. I think if if an HR team is taking responsibility for actively engaging with the employees and saying, hey, how, how are you doing? Um, and if they're not doing okay, uh, providing them resources so that they can get whatever help they need, I think that's a really, really great critical thing for a business. At the same time, um, you know a person's well-being whether it's physical mental emotional it is their responsibility i would never put that on the responsibility of a company but there are certainly things that the company can do to be of support to employees so that if they're not of of good mental health that the employee employer can be a resource or have resources available to support that person. Does that answer the question?
4: Um, how can HR will uh, will put that together for the person? Like if you don't have somebody performing in a well manner, um, according to the policies of the company or mm-hmm. the corporation, how can HR approach that person or that group of people Um what tools do you guys use?
1: Yeah, so if if an employee isn't performing very well, you know, obviously you want to engage with them. um Hopefully, their manager is doing this as well to say, hey, you know, you're not, you know, meeting your performance goals. What what what's going on? What's getting in the way? What are your barriers? And if their barrier is something related to their well being, um, then they can, you know. Get with HR and say, hey, what what resources do we have to offer that person?" Um, typically, uh, in the United States at least, most employers have what's called an EAP, which is an employee assistance program. and it's some sort of resource that allows the employee to um, have access to mental health services, whether it's um, a, a few free counseling sessions or maybe it's um, training programs on you know managing stress or time management or you know, financial wellness or things like that—that that, that might be a source of stress. Um, I, I think if an employer has those resources available, and management understands what those resources are and how to access them, um, if and when they find out that an employee is struggling with mental health, um, they need to offer those resources to the employee. But you know, when it comes to a, a a person's, you know, mental well-being, you know, that's very, very personal. And I think employers should be careful about overstepping and, and mandating certain things like that to say, Hey, you know, you're, you're not performing. You need to, you know, do a mental health session with a counselor. I, I think that's starts to cross a, a line or a boundary where, um, ultimately it is very personal to the employee and, uh, you can give them, resources you can do your best to engage with them to um you know check in on them and, and make sure they're doing okay but ultimately it, it it is their responsibility for for their well-being
0: well i think also from an individual point of view we all always have the option to you know if we see someone struggling go up and say hey how you doing and kind of say so you want to go for a cup of coffee and you know talk i'm um, i'm here for you uh, or if you are someone who for example uh meditates or uses mindfulness perhaps uh tell your colleagues i'll be happy to run some sessions you know after work we we can take the conference room five o'clock on friday afternoon uh just take a an hour and uh, do some training. Uh, you, it doesn't have to be so structured and mandated. Uh, it can be very um, something that is very spontaneous. Um, and then, from that, there might emerge a something that is more structured, that is more ongoing that can then become part of uh, the company culture. Um, that, you know, every morning, perhaps there is uh, availability to meditate, or they uh, put in a uh, uh, reflection space where you can go and meditate at some point during the day. Um, So uh, it's, it's always got to start somewhere, right? And if you have a skill in something, it's then you're in a position to be the instigator of that change
1: yeah i love what you said christopher i mean that's you know it it goes back to what we talked about of that the the power dynamic doesn't always have to be you know i'm here then the powerful person's here, right? It, it needs to be everyone helping and supporting each other. So
2: yeah. I think that's really I am power, right?
1: Yeah, it's an important thing for companies to build that culture that it's not like, oh, if I have an issue, I go to my manager. It's like, no, we're all here to support each other. And if I have a question with something, it doesn't have to be me going to my manager. It can be me going to my peer. And that can be anything from how to do my job to, hey, I'm just feeling, I'm feeling depressed. You know, it, it can be, uh, it, anything, but it's it's everyone supporting each other.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's perfect.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Anybody else have
2: any uh, thoughts? Any questions? Any experiences you want to share?
0: Go ahead, Teresa.
4: Hi. I I love what we're talking about. Um, couple of months ago, about four or five months ago, I was working at a warehouse company and there was a lot of uh, disintegration in between um, employees and, and management. And uh, it was a difficult time for the company. And so I took the job because it's very close to my house and it was convenient for me. But my main focus is on the health coaching and so I thought how can I integrate what I do into this workspace and it was just part of that um, bringing more people just talking about the things that I would notice and um, you know some people weren't eating and I was like oh they're just smoking so how about if you eat healthier you know like how about salad you know like I would just talk about food and then a couple couple weeks later we we got together and we made a salad everyone got ingredients they got them from home and we got together and we had a salad and I thought that was like a a very you know it was the power of like the taking the initiative to bring people together even though there was a lot of like I don't like that person that person it's too bossy like why is he telling me what to do when he's just another employee there was a lot of that going on um ultimately I I end up leaving because management although they would try but it was just not an ideal place for me but um yeah just taking in what you guys talked about uh it's always if you you know just kind of like be the change if you see it help out another person um and eventually we'll, we'll we'll be noticed
0: and i think that's so beautiful that idea of the uh, the community, the communal, um, because again, you spend all day with these people. And you, if there are, you know, conflicts and stuff, you should be able to suss them out, right? And if you don't have that connection and that uh, collaboration and yet uh, deeper connection between people, then people are not necessarily going to be invested to care enough to. uh, make those changes so coming coming together around food is you know it's as old as uh, humanity itself Um, and just creating food together and sharing in that food is a beautiful uh, way of interacting and getting people together and getting to know each other from a different perspective and a different uh, level so I, I love that thank you very much teresa that's beautiful is that something you've seen in uh, your work as well kevin
1: yeah absolutely and yeah teresa thanks for sharing that story um because you know I, i i do believe that everybody every person is uniquely designed to bring something to our world and humanity and help uplift our consciousness in some way and And it goes back to what we talked about before. I think everyone, I I hope everyone has the ability and the opportunity to find out what that is for themselves. And then, you know, Teresa, what you did is you didn't wait to start doing it, right? You didn't didn't wait to get a job as a health coach. It didn't matter that you were working in the warehouse. You said, I'm still going to do what I'm here to do, right? Right. Um, and so I, I think it's a beautiful story and, um, yeah, we always encourage people to self-organize and do things like that. Um, we even tried to, you know, kind of, you know, find that middle ground of creating structures that allowed people or spaces that allowed people to have the freedom and autonomy to, to do, um, whatever they wanted to do um and even though that might sound a little strange like weight structure but but freedom um if you i'm trying to think of an example one of the things that we um always wanted to do at the last company i worked for was do like a you know company gatherings and so rather than you know from corporate saying hey here's what each location is going to do we just gave it to them and said here, here's your budget. Do whatever you want to do. You know, have your, your summer outing um, and build camaraderie, however you want to build it. So um, I think companies, there are things that companies can do to give employees the opportunity, you know, Teresa, you did this totally on your own accord, which is amazing. And I think if companies share stories like that, it'll inspire people to say, Hey, what can I do? And if they sort of create structures that allow people the freedom to do things like that, um, that can help too.
0: And I think that's actually something that uh, just clicked in my mind as you were talking about that. That's another function for HR perhaps is mm-hmm. to be the collector and disseminator of those stories to help. Yeah to help build because that is part of building morale isn't it and helping yeah
1: and culture help
0: build uh, culture exactly yeah
1: yeah storytelling is incredibly powerful because it illustrates hey you know th- this is the type of environment that we want to create and you know teresa if your company shared that story and highlighted it and said this was so amazing people are going to st- start to think hmm, what am I interested in? What am I passionate about? What do I know about? And how can I bring that to, to my warehouse?
2: Yeah, That's
3: beautiful.
4: I, I wanna comment on that. Um, people, I noticed a lot of people being more like in tune with their self-love or like and sharing the, their love of, as far as like learning how to cultivate and sharing that or how can we make this product uh, more better? There was a lot of ideas coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, there was always from like that, the ego space of like, you know, this is for me and I want the, that position and, you know, it's, it's, it's work. So, mm. but, but, but it was good. It was, it was, it was a good time and I got to learn a lot from not only for myself, but just the power of sharing and being vulnerable and helping another person. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. Fantastic.
0: And I mean, as you, most of you know, I perceive, um, companies and organizations as energy, the flow of energy, right? So when you have companies that are too controlling, it becomes too restrictive. And then you start having energy kind of seeping out all ends, uh, as opposed to when you have uh, a smooth running company with uh, people that are well motivated because there is a deeper purpose to it you have that energy flowing towards the purpose of the organization um so when we are uh, when we are a kind of low vibrational we're low on energy we're we're not going to have this upbeat energy driving innovation creativity and so forth within the organization but when we come together and um, like in this situation, you share a meal and you, you're you talking, you're chatting, your vibration is going to go up because now you're starting to feel connected. You're starting to feel a sense of love, uh, connectedness, community, and so forth. Now energy is going to be more free-flowing because you're not constricted, you're not protective, you're not defensive, and things are now going to start flowing, ideas are going to flow, you're going to be encouraged and uh, kind of Uh, energized by someone else's idea, like, oh yeah, I was thinking about something like this too. And suddenly you create something, right? And this is how we we manifest new ideas and so forth is by coming together in high vibration to allow that energy to
2: flow uh, wherever it's supposed to flow.
3: And beautifully said.
2: Right? Cool. So, well, Kevin, why would so? What
0: is it that you hope for when people contact you, or why why do people contact us? Uh, Is it just HR, or do you coach people? How do you work?
1: Yeah, so I I do offer coaching. Um, My focus is on HR team transformation. Um, My hope is that that's accompanied with, you know, larger scope. Transformation, right? Hey, we're evolving our entire company and we need our HR team to support us in newer and more evolved ways and ways that they haven't um, you know, been responsible for previously. Um, so you know, who I want to work with is companies that want to be more conscious, that want to be purpose-driven, people-centric, um, that want to be um, have a great culture and see that hr is a critical piece uh, in building that
0: beautiful and um, yeah. how do people get in touch with you
1: yeah so they can check out my website it's ilovehr.io uh, they can hit me up on linkedin i don't know if you want to share my link to my linkedin page in the uh in the comments of the podcast You can absolutely do that, or,
0: do that i'll do that i'll share it on the it'll be in the uh, uh uh, the episode notes awesome.
1: as well. Yeah. So just connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Blauschild. Uh, my company's I Love HR. Again, I love HR.io. You can check out my website. Um, I've got quite a few uh, free resources that I've built out recently um, a guide for building a value add HR team. Um, I've got another worksheet that I just put out, um, which is a total walkthrough of helping HR people understand their business better. Um, so, I'm continuing to build a lot more free resources. I'm going to be putting together, you know, courses and things like that. Um, also available for uh, one-on-one coaching and consulting as well.
0: Beautiful. Well, Kevin, you're doing the uh, the good work and uh, working towards uh, helping humanity uh, in uh, kind of elevate into the new uh, paradigm. So, we appreciate that
1: you're showing a role
0: model <laughs>
1: thank you thanks for having me and uh, you as well the work you're doing is is awesome uh, i've loved our conversation so uh it's super needed and yeah just thankful to be a part of it
0: appreciate it kevin and uh to all our listeners and uh, participants in the audience today thank you for showing up with your beautiful energies and your inquisitive minds and uh, open hearts and high vibrations so uh thank you yeah for thank that. you guys um And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you, everybody. And, Kevin, have a good one. You too. As with so many other things in life, it really does require a shift in attitude, shift in mindset, shift in uh, perception and uh, attention. Like I tell a lot of my clients, it's not about tearing down and discarding what's been before, but rather to refine and uh, build upon uh, the experiences and the benefits that we've drawn from our past experiences. And with the new generations coming up, uh, being different than the ones that came before them, things are shifting. We are moving into different paradigms of doing business and there is no no way other way about it. And uh, those that are going to resist change and resist that process uh, are going to be kind of left in the dust and uh, so it's uh, like I always say that you know disrupt yourself before someone else uh, before someone else does it to you and this is where consultants like Kevin and myself come in and help guide companies through that process to move into a new dynamic of the business the business itself So if you'd like to connect with uh, Kevin, as he mentioned in the podcast, uh, reach out to him through his website ilovehr.io. Or if you want to reach out to me at The Alchemy Experience, please go to my website thealchemyexperience.co.uk. And uh, there you can click on the link for a 30 minute free consultation to uh, see if uh, there's anything we can help you with and explore uh, the space that we can work with you to shift things for you as well as you may have noticed we have moved uh, the episodes to be released every other Friday and uh, we'll be doing that for a period uh, going forward now Uh, might go back to weekly schedule but for now we're going to release every other week so hopefully we'll see you in a couple of weeks and uh, hope you have a good time until until then Take care for now.